Good evening. It is good to see each of you, and if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you will, be opening your Bibles to Acts, the sixth chapter. In just a few minutes, we'll study tonight from Acts, the sixth chapter. Wonderful, wonderful things have been happening uh, in Mount Juliet and along with Mount Juliet folks this weekend. Saturday morning, the, and even throughout the day Saturday, the teddy bear workshop created little creatures like this. I don't know if from where you're sitting if you can tell, but here is the teddy bear awake, and then you rock him, and he goes to sleep, and then he has his tag that says, Made with Love by the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And there were somewhere between 30 to 50 folks that showed up yesterday, and they were all ages. It was a beautiful sight to see from little bitty ones helping work to those that are uh, not young in age anymore. And it was just wonderful to see everyone working together and to see these being created. I understand that about 250 were made from start to end, and then another 500 are well underway are in some part of the process of being made. And who knows? the good that will come out of these bears as we have seen from times past as they have made it uh, from the west coast to the east coast and the notes, the thank you notes that we receive back let us know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they truly touch the lives of people. And we thank each one of you that had a part in that and continue to take part in this ministry uh, throughout the year and especially Patty Willoughby and her many, many hours of uh, working in that, and Jack Cronk as he leads this area as a deacon. Also, our young people uh, have gone, and now tonight they are back safely from Savannah, Tennessee, Evangelism University. Our young people that have attended this, there was between 20 to 25 that went along on this, and those that went there have been since Friday night and all day Saturday, and even this morning, they've been in session after session being activated to do evangelism. And what a wonderful way to blitz a weekend from morning to night thinking about evangelism. And we're proud of you young people that were uh, able and willing to go and be a part of that. And we hope that you can help light a spark in us that all of us will have a great desire to evangelize. Also, we're glad that the 20-something class is back home also. We missed all you guys this morning. Uh, we had at least two groups away. Uh, close to, I guess, 10 or a dozen of those folks went, and they enjoyed an outing together this weekend skiing, and we're glad that they're home safely. You know, they're not teenagers anymore, and they're probably going to realize it after skiing this weekend that they're not teenagers anymore, but I think they made it all home safely, and we are glad that they did. Also, this afternoon, a wonderful event took place just a few minutes ago as our young lady serving Christ uh, began uh, their sessions for 2004, and they were cutting out flannel graph that will be used to teach children in El Salvador uh, using uh, Spanish material. And then the flannel graphs will be used along with that, teaching them Bible stories. And so you young ladies that participated in that, we're proud of you. Uh, you have already participated in some teaching that if the Lord wills will take place in just a few months. And it will excite those children greatly uh, to learn of Jesus Christ. God blesses us richly and far beyond what we could ever think or imagine. I want to announce something that is not on behalf of the church here. It's just on behalf of some inquiries that were made last week. Uh, during Missions Emphasis Sunday, several asked about the youth camps that were taking place in Russia. 
So many asked that what he decided to do was send information to the church and ask us to pass that information on to you. Uh, If you were in the auditorium class last Sunday morning, you know about what I'm talking about. And if you have interest in learning more, we're going to distribute some information about that. But again, I emphasize to you, this isn't uh, an endorsement of the Mount Julia Church of Christ that we're definitely doing this. It's not that at all. It's just the result of you walking by that table the other day and saying, I want to learn more about it. And he didn't have the information put in hand. And he said, I'll get it to you. This is his way of getting it to you. So if you want that information, following services this evening in the conference room, uh, I'll be in there and several of you have already said that you'll be in there and we'll just disperse that information and talk about it a little bit. And uh, it's, it's exciting to think about and that's where it is at this point is, is exciting to think about. So much good. Let's be prayerful, let's be faithful, and let's continue to march forward all to God's glory. Have you ever seen a time in an individual's life or even in the life of a church that someone will say, well, I tell you what, Satan is really busy. Have you ever noticed that a lot of time when things are going real well and things are prospering spiritually, we tend to say things like, boy, things are going great for us. Now, why don't we flip that same coin over when things are going great and instead of saying Satan is really busy, why don't we say God is really busy? You know, when you look at the early church, God was really busy. In Acts, the second chapter, Peter stood up to preach, and before that day was finished, 3,000 folks were baptized into Jesus Christ. God was really busy in the beginning of the church. As a matter of fact, when we just thumb through the pages of the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter and the sixth chapter, we can't help but notice, and even in the third chapter, we can't help but notice phrases like that the multitude was growing or that they were adding to the church daily or that individuals were gathering in homes daily. And we read not only the good that was taking place, it never mentions on a monthly basis or even a weekly basis. In the early church, when it talks about the good that was taking place, it usually refers to it on a daily basis. Why? Because God was busy. He was working in the lives of individuals to bless the area of Jerusalem there with the Christian faith. Now... Let's do flip that same coin over and admit the fact. In that early church, Satan was also busy. You remember back in the fourth chapter, we see that Peter and John was arrested. Satan was using the forces without to try to discourage the church. But he didn't stop there. He even went to the forces within when we go into the fifth chapter. And you remember Ananias and Sapphira lying? Satan was busy there that day too working from within. Then we go later into that very same chapter and we see that not just a couple of the apostles, but we see that all of the apostles have been arrested again now and thrown into jail. Satan was busy. And now we come to the sixth chapter. Satan was busy again. This time he turned again to the forces within. You see, the first time we see it, it was from the forces without throwing two into jail. Then it's the forces within causing a family to lie and lose their life. Then it's the forces without again, 12 being thrown into jail. And now we're back to the forces within. And this time, it's a muttering. It's a complaining that's running throughout the congregation. I want you to note this as we read this text tonight and develop the setting. Satan attacked the early church. It seemed to be at its two strongest places. 
It attacked it in the way that it was growing by attacking the apostles. And he attacked the early church in the way they cared for others. You remember when Ananias and Sapphira lied, they lied about the gift that were given to the church and the church was using that money to care and support for those that they loved and served. And so indirectly there, that attack was actually ultimately against even the care of the church in an indirect way. But in a very direct way, as we're about to read this in Acts the 6th chapter, we see that it was about the care for the Hellenist widows, those that were the Greek-speaking widows. Let's read this. We're in Acts the 6th chapter, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1. And this story only goes through verse 7, but it reveals so much to us about the importance of the right kind, and not only the right kind, but the right number of leaders. Let's look. Acts the 6th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, you see that? God was busy. We just continue to read that through Acts. The multitude is multiplying. There arose a complaint. Now Satan's busy against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the Word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. As we think about the setting here, it's probably pretty self-explanatory from what we just read, but to make sure we're all on the same page, widows in that day and time had a very difficult time surviving on their own. Now, we know that even today, sometimes, widows have a difficult time, and I'm not trying to, to take away from that fact. That is true even today. But in that day and time, before the days of Social Security and any kind of support from a, culture, a cultural and government standpoint, it was most important that someone who knew the widows and loved the widows take care of the widows because they, most of the time, could not take care of themselves financially. It was important for this young church to reach out to all those in need. And one of the great groups of individuals that had a need was that of the widows. As a matter of fact, when we read in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, for several verses, Paul writes to Timothy with the church there in Ephesus telling them exactly how to take care of those widows. As a matter of fact, when we read on in James, the first chapter in verse 27, when he talked about pure religion, he talked about it being those that would go with open eyes to meet the needs of widows. And our word there in, in English is to visit the widows, but it's more than just a visit. It means to go with open eyes. 
In other words, from the beginning of the church here in Acts, the sixth chapter, throughout the New Testament, we see that God intended for God's people to take care of their own people. And that included the widows, most definitely. There seemed to be a little bit of a rub, if you will, against those that had... When we talk about the Hebrew widows in the Scriptures, it's usually referring to the group that had always been in Judea. Those were the ones that still their native tongue was the Hebrew tongue. Now, that's not to say they couldn't understand Greek. It's just all of their customs were still those old paths. It was the old ways of the Jews. They were very much a part of the Hebrew culture. Then you had those that were Greek-speaking. And it's not that they couldn't speak Hebrew. But yet Greek would be their native tongue, most likely. And they probably at one time in their life had lived somewhere other than Jerusalem. And they had moved back in. And as they had been away, they probably lost some of the culture and customs that were known to the Jews. And so when they came back and they tried to live together, not only in one city, but they tried to live together as one church, you can imagine some of the differences. And then as daily distributions started being made available to help the widows from the treasury of the church, those that spoke Greek were saying, you know, we're being neglected. I look over and see these Hebrew widows and they're not being neglected. But we sure are over here. Now at this point, it's not real important whether or not it was or wasn't happening. The point was, the accusation was there, and it began and was being addressed at this point as a complaint. Let's begin with point number one tonight. That is, a few good leaders have never been enough. Who were the leaders of the church at this time? The apostles. How would you rank apostles as leaders? I don't know about you, but if I could look at an apostle and say, you know, that fella can sit down and write an inspired page. That guy can get up and speak and he can preach an inspired message. That guy can go over here and he can perform miracles. I'd have to rank him as a pretty strong leader. I need to note that it's interesting that even though there were 12 apostles, that wasn't enough leadership. You see, as a matter of fact, they pointed out what was their greatest concern to them, given by God in their capacity of leadership, and said, we're not going to leave that to go and do other things, and we'll address that in just a moment. But the point is that even though they were apostles, they couldn't do it alone. Now, I also need to note that the church by this time in Jerusalem might have been somewhere around twenty to 30,000 in size. That's the estimation by many that possibly the church had grown to that point. Because these multitudes of 3,000 and 4,000 were increasing on a daily basis. And by this time, this is anywhere from three to six years after Acts the second chapter. And so we learned that a few good men were just not enough. And so what was needed if the needs were going to improve? The need was for more leaders, because when you have more leaders, by God's design, more can be done. Now we need to enter this point by noticing this. The fact that there, 
that there was not enough leaders at this time meant that some of the work was being overlooked or neglected. At least that's what seems to be the case. Which also note, that was threatening the unity of the church. Volatile situation here. You had two cultures. You had two groups of people. Apparently they were striving to come together as one church. And apparently before this, they had done that pretty well for those first three to six years. But now there's the rub. Isn't it interesting that the solution to this particular threat of unity was, let's get more leaders in place. Friends, I'm not suggesting to you that more leaders is always the answer to any problem that comes along. That would be foolish. But I think it's well for all of us to stop for a moment and realize if there are not enough leaders, there will always be problems. Problems that will eventually lead to even the threat of division. And so it is, as we think about more leaders, we need to recognize the fact that there is not one office in the Lord's church that is given as an honorary position. There's no elder that's an honorary elder. There's no deacon that's an honorary deacon. You see, every office and every person that fulfills those two offices need to realize that if they're going to be in that place, it is for the kingdom of God to do more. Now, as we think about more men, we're thinking about more men doing more. Now let's note this difference that they were going to do. I want to take your eyes, if you will, back to the Scriptures in Acts the 6th chapter. And I want you to notice in verse 2 the word serve tables at the very end. In my translation, that's the last two words of verse 2. And so they were going to find men that would be willing to go out and to serve tables. Now note that word serve there and skip down now to verse 4. And notice what the apostle said in 4. And I want you to look at the word ministry. In verse 4, the apostle says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer. So see that in verse 2? He said, we need to find men that's willing to serve these tables over here. Now, we're going to continually give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That word in verse 2, serve, and that word ministry in verse 4 are the same words in the original text. In other words, what the apostles were saying was that we need more leaders to do more because we have various kinds of work taking place. And the apostles did not have a better-than-thou attitude that says, we're too good to serve these tables. The point was, if they were going to continue, and notice what they were to continue in, if we are going to continue in prayer and in the Word, the apostles' primary responsibility was spreading the Word. That is the commission that Jesus Christ gave them. If we're going to continue in that ministry, in that act of service, now keep in mind, the definition of deacon, or the meaning of the word deacon, is servant. He says, if we're going to stay in that area of service, he says, ours is going to be in prayer and in the Word. But we need some individuals that are going to become servants over here. And they're going to continue in this work of overseeing the business of serving the widows. You see, the point is this. In any position we're in in the Lord's church, if more is not being done for the kingdom of God, 
and to His glory. We need to stop and honestly evaluate what's wrong. Never should leaders be added to the Lord's church and the same or less work be done. More leaders were always added to do more work. And again, it's not about busy work. It's not about finding things for people to do so it just looks like that more things are stirring and more things are happening. It's about truly carrying out the work of the Lord in His kingdom. Now, the third point's real simple. They found out that a few leaders was not enough. More leaders were needed to do more work. And so the third point is they appointed more servants. As a matter of fact... They even told the number. The apostle says for them to find seven men. This is in verse 3. Seven men. And then we see here their abbreviated list, if you will, of qualifications. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Now note the fact that when these men were appointed, why do you think that they chose seven? We've already touched on that. I suppose the reason they chose seven was because that was amount of work to do. You know, this morning, uh, James Whitaker mentioned that there are more men in this congregation qualified to be a deacon than those that have been selected at this time. Why not select some more? Well, in the structure of our work right now, we just don't have an organization of ministries that will hold more men. Why don't you think if there was a church, and let's just say there were 20 or 30,000 people in that church, and here is one small ministry, important but small, who's going to take care of serving the widows? The apostles say, I believe we could find seven leaders and they could take care of that. Notice they didn't say find an endless number. Just go out and take a popularity poll and see how many you want a place. It's interesting that they gave a specific number. I believe because that was to fulfill a specific need that was there. But now note this. Those men would fulfill qualifications. Now it's interesting when you think this was an infant church. This was a young church. And so this is a church in its beginning stages when there were still apostles, not elders. And even these men here are not called deacons. They're called servants. But that is a perfect parallel, if you will, to the permanent structure that's going to come very soon in the Lord's church. There won't be apostles any longer in that permanent structure. Instead, there'll be elders. And there won't be those that are simply called servants. It'll be those that are deacons. And those deacons must fulfill the qualifications that are mentioned in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. And next Sunday night, we'll take a look at those. And it's most important that those qualifications be met. Now notice, as we look at the qualifications here, how important these three things were. Again, it wasn't a popularity contest. Instead, when we look back at verse 3, he said, a good reputation. In other words, how is this person viewed from without and from within among their peers, among people, but then also full of the Holy Spirit? What is their relationship with God? Isn't that interesting? You find men that have a good relationship with people, and you find men that have a good relationship with God. And then, now notice these men are going to be over the business. Do you want a fool or a wise man over your business? The Lord is no different. He wants a wise man. 
He says, I want you to find somebody that does well with people and does well with God and make sure that they have some wisdom. They're going to be over the business of the Lord's church. Make sure that they know how to conduct the business with wisdom. And so it is, even though those are not the three uh, qualifications per se, in principle they still lie within 1 Timothy 3, but they're not listed like that. But it is interesting to just lay down as a lesson to learn. It's important for all of us, not just deacons, but it's important for all of us to make sure that we have a good reputation from within and without. And it's important that we have a good relationship with God, and it's important that we conduct ourselves with wisdom. The truth is, all of us should be workers in the kingdom. So it doesn't matter where I am in the structure of the Lord's church, I ought to strive to maintain those three things in my life and everything that I do. Now, let's close with this fourth point. Notice we said out of this lesson a few leaders weren't enough, that if more could be appointed, more could be done, and so therefore more were appointed. And what was the result? More good was done. Did you notice how the good started first with the congregation itself? If you overlook that, look back at verse 5 again. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. How did this paragraph begin? Let's be reminded of that. Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, I'm back in verse 1, there arose a complaint. This chapter began with complainings in the church. Now this paragraph is ending with, the multitude is now happy. Friends, I need to realize that when God's work is being done by God's plan, and we look not as ourselves and look inwardly, but we look outwardly and see that there is so much to do in the kingdom, not just around the world. There's so much to do in the kingdom right here in Mount Julian. And when we see men that are willing to step up and sacrifice their time and invest their energy and their effort in the greatest work on earth, and that is the Lord's work, And then we see that things are going to be better now because for God's glory, more can be done. We all ought to have that reaction. Pleased with that. That's a good thing. Not only was it just that the congregation had an emotion that was acceptable, but we see that the facts were acceptable. Did you notice that in verse 7 again? The Word of God spread. Does this strike you as interesting? That the leaders were needed to serve daily administration of people that were already Christians? And when that was fulfilled, God's Word spread more? Have you ever heard a deacon say something like this? Well, you know, my ministry really doesn't help with spreading the Word. Uh, I, I just take care of the grounds. Well, you know, my ministry really doesn't take care of the spreading of the Word. Uh, I I just help with the youth program. My ministry doesn't really take care of spreading the words. I I just help with shut-ins. You remember 1 Corinthians 12? The church is a body. Every member is important. Whether they're an eye or a hand or a foot. And when the whole body pulls together and does their part, 
What's the result going to be? The Word of God increases. Friends, whether you are a deacon or you are one working in various ministries, if you're doing something in the Lord's work with all of your energy and with all of your heart, I want you to realize that we have example after example, teaching after teaching, principle after principle, that echoes the fact that you are important in evangelizing the world. We don't all have the same capacities. We don't have the same abilities. We don't all have the same opportunities. But whatever place we have in the body of Christ, when we all fulfill our place and the Word of God spreads throughout Mount Juliet, we can say, I had some part in that, and to God be the glory. More leaders were appointed. It pleased the congregation. The Word of God grew. But notice that next thing in verse 7. And the number of disciples multiplied. Multiplied. You see, this chapter began with growing pains. The church had grown to the point that now they were having some growing pains. What do we need to do? Well, let's appoint some more leaders. They appointed the leaders. The situation was handled as it should be. And now what's happening again? Growing. And you know what's going to happen later on in that church? There'll be more growing pains. That's the life of a church that's living the way God wants them to live. Friends, I think most of us here know this and believe it with all of our heart. But I hope tonight's lesson echoes in our minds the emphasis of this point. Growth is not about numbers. Growth is about souls. Around us tonight, there are people filling their living rooms and their game rooms and their dens and their dining rooms. They're in restaurants, they're in movies, they're in malls. And they're right where they want to be. And that ought to break our hearts. How are we ever going to reach out of a town that has thousands and thousands of people I only know one way. A few leaders can't do it. I hope that Mount Julia Church of Christ finds itself in a situation very often that we need a few more good men to lead ministries and a few more faithful members to pitch in and make more happen for the glory of God. Tonight, I can't think of a work any more exciting than to be a part of the Lord's work. When we get down to the very core of things, working to have a certain house or a certain car, it's exciting and kept in its right priorities. There's nothing wrong with it. But you know, even when you fulfill that dream, it's still so empty compared to seeing a soul brought to the Lord, to seeing a child grow up in our youth group and see them grow into a faithful child of God and teaching Bible class, or maybe one day becoming a deacon or an elder or a minister or a missionary. Friends, 
Do you realize that if you and I aren't faithful to the Lord, we miss out on the very purpose of us being on this earth, and we miss out on being a part of the greatest ministry that's ever been, and that's Christ's ministry. And so tonight, we're going to close this lesson with an invitation. It's the Lord's invitation for us to become a part of His cause. All of a sudden, our life can mean more than it's ever meant because now we're a part of something that's greater than ourselves. We'll live far beyond this world. What an investment. If you've never made that investment, maybe you've been looking at things through the wrong focus. And maybe tonight you want to change that focus and look eternal and look to glorious things and look to permanent things because the things of this earth are temporal. Here today, gone tomorrow. If you've never been baptized into Christ, tonight would be a wonderful time to make that commitment. Or maybe somewhere along the way you've mixed priorities, you've disappointed yourself, you've disappointed your God. You want to come back and make things right with God and with others. Let's make sure that we leave here this evening ready to give all that we can give. Not compare to each other, but to simply give all we can give in God's service in His ministry. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.